and I like, I remember like the wind up and the sensations. And so I pulled back and then I brought it down and the sound and the, her orgasm and uh, the rush of power that surged through my being that I was just like, and it freaked me out. I threw the flogger. I threw the frogger. I was just like, Welcome to my orgasmic life podcast, a show that where we talk about sex, love, relationships and kink. And of course, my favorite part, I share with you my very graphic, very juicy and always entertaining orgasmic life. I'm Guy Morissette, your hostess and your holistic sexual wellness specialist, your trauma healer, your BDSM expert. And of course, your pro dominatrix. Mm. <laughs> the show was inspired to inspire you to support your orgasmic living. Remember, always check the content warning before you listen and make sure you're listening where no one else can hear it because you never, ever know what I'm going to say because I always come with an explicit graphic content warning. <laughs> now, strap in and enjoy the show. So welcome to another episode of My Orgasmic Life. And I have a special guest with me today. And we're going to have like a really juicy conversation about what it's like to be a femdom in your everyday society life growing up as one? What does that mean? And so we're going to dive into that. Um, but I want to let my wonderful co-host uh, introduce herself because but actually before I have her introduce yourself, I just want to say that for years I've been following her um, on her journeys of her escapades. <laughs> and and one of the things that I really adore about her is her very, very wicked sense of humor. And so I'm excited to see how that will uh, unfold in our conversation today. All right. So, Gloria, right. welcome. Welcome Hello. to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really get to speak with a whole lot of other femdoms and femdoms with podcasts so I think that's really very very heartwarming yay. in a perfect kind of way <laughs> yay <laughs> um so can you give a just a quick little intro on like who you are uh <laughs> so a quick one eh a quick one um, get in get out don't mess my hairdo <laughs> I'm an author writer you know, author slash blogger. So I've published a lot of books and uh, I keep my blog going. In fact, I pretty much picked it up again uh, during COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, I work as a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. That's my career. And sexologist, because I also mm -hmm. do outside of sex therapy, I do uh, like forensic evaluation sometimes. So, and I publish books too. Beautiful. So I keep busy. Yeah. Um, and so can you pronounce your name so that it's pronounced properly? 
<laughs> Gloria Brame. Beautiful. All right. So okay. what does it mean to you, the word femdom? For, for, our, for our listeners, because it's really fascinating because often people have many different definitions of it. So I'm, I'm interested to see for you, what does that mean for you? You know, I view it as a generic term. I mean, what really, uh, we're a really diverse population. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the kink world tends to be, you know, unique where they have a slightly different style or a different kind of presentation. So to me, femdom is generic female top. Beautiful. Period. Female top. So, but how she actually uh, plays or interacts with other people, that is where the spice of BDSM comes in. Yeah, it's also my definition. It's a generic term of a female top, female dom. Um, so that's what we're talking about. So that we're all on the same page mm-hmm. for the listeners. So, yeah, now, you know, like some people would say, oh, you know, to be a dominant, you must be blah, 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 blah. Right. Because we do associate certain kinds of practices with dominance that they're more caring, um, maybe less demanding than let's say a mistress or a master, you know, that there's more that might go with that role. But if you've ever been at clubs or gone to professional femdoms, you're going to encounter women who view that very differently. So a pro-dom or a professional femdom, may or may not be primarily dominant in her private life, may or may not be kind of caretaking. For some of them, it's really a job. They're there to give you a fantasy for an hour or two, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you have femdoms who are all over their submissives, married to them, lead a household, you know, so the range is really vast. Yes, of absolutely. What a dominant may or may not do and how they're involved. And then a mistress is, again, is a mistress really the master of her relationship? Is it just a title because she plays the top role? Yes, there's so much. Like we could go on for days and days and days and right. days and days and days on all but the different I, variations but right but i'm a femdom in the more probably traditional way which is i have a partner who's my submissive and all my partners are submissive to me and occasionally i am their owner mm-hmm. okay so let's talk I mean, about, yeah so let's 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 talk about what it was like growing up for you as a femdom in society, as, as being, well, a, you know, as a, in that definition of being a top, being dominant, being, for me, I see it as being very alpha, right? Like that's, that's okay, how, so- that, that for me, my definition of it and how I move, I remember as a kid being very alpha. 
and always being the one that was leading and always the one that was in charge. And everybody who would, even the adults who were in charge would defer to me without, it, ha- it just would happen. Like it just seems to happen as the air of when I walk into the space or into the room, people just want me to char- take charge and, and lead wherever we're going. And so that's been my, that's been my experience, like pretty much my whole life, even from a child, all the way up to my life now. And it plays out in different like dynamics. Yes, sexually, absolutely. But it also plays out in my business, it plays out in my friendships, it plays out everywhere. And I have to consciously choose every moment to make sure that my power dynamics with people are consensual and equal because there's just this thing that happens where people are like, yes, whatever you want. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So how has that played yeah. out for you? I'm curious. Completely differently. Okay. I was born in 1955. Mm-hmm. So that means, and I'll be 67 later this year. So I was raised before women's lip really mm-hmm. i mean but i can tell you that when when women's lib came along around age 14 i was militant <laughs> <laughs> so i was raised in a very dysfunctional family with a lot of 1950s style values and 1960s style values which had an awful lot to say about what women were allowed to do and not allowed to do mm-hmm. And, but there were things I always knew. Like, I mean, I always knew that I hated getting dressed up as a girly girl. Mm -hmm. I didn't like wearing dresses. I thought Mm -hmm. that was bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) why? Why do I have to wear a dress? Guys, boys look so comfortable. They get to wear pants all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. I want to wear pants all the time, you know? And actually, I think that if I was uh, growing up, right now that at 12 or 13 I probably would have you know said I was gender fluid yeah yeah but I mean I was born in 74 I was born in 74 and so it was like we're in this 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 still there's I remember very much those roles those gender roles those expectations like I remember being chased by my grandmother to try to get me to put a dress on and I'm like, that's not happening. I'm climbing a tree. <laughs> and I'm like, climbing a tree. And I'm like, in the pond. See, I was, I'm in the pond catching frogs. I'm like, why Why are you trying to make me? What's this frilly thing? What's this girly frilly thing? Yes. Yeah. No, I would say like, my parents' relationship was definitely led by my mother. Mm-hmm. But she was like an out of control femdom mm-hmm. with no point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She just wanted her way on things, even when the the things that, you know, that that her way was really a bad idea. It didn't matter. Yeah. She wanted her way, mm-hmm. you know, and my dad would joke about that. She was very short. I'm very short, but she was really tiny, you know, but she really kind of, I don't want to say ruled with an iron fist because she didn't have an iron fist, but she had a sharp tongue. Mm. you know and she was very hard to live with but on another level 
I think I was sort of not as broken as my family mm -hmm. and extremely headstrong mm -hmm. and extremely determined. And I never believed ever that men were smarter, stronger, or knew more than women. Mm -hmm. My model was a very sweet dad whom I loved very much, but who didn't have a lot of say in things, you know? And I was always encouraged by my parents to um, respect women mm -hmm. and the things that they could do. And they believed that men and women were equal. So that was really a great thing mm -hmm. for me because although my mother would periodically wear a dress or when you grow up and get married and have children and, you know, of course, I mean, there was huge pressure on me, even, you know, into my mid twenties or later from my mother, you know, that I, you know, this is what a woman does. And even when, and when I was with boys, cause I started sexually experimenting really young, mm -hmm. like 13, 14, mm -hmm. Me you too. know, and by yep. the time I was 17, I was a woman of the world. I thought, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really liked having control with men mm -hmm. and emotionally. I was stronger than most of the men that I knew, you know, if I didn't like something, I walked away from it. Mm -hmm. I never felt guilty. I didn't, you know, I didn't take care of them, mm -hmm. you know, or protect their feelings. I was like, we're two adults. I'm a grown up at 14, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and I think part of it is that, you know, vanilla sex didn't engage me completely so, i see that now in retrospect mm -hmm. because i was pretty much unless i had a mad crush for somebody you know um for the most part i just always had a good attitude about sex because mm -hmm. my parents never poisoned me against it mm -hmm. you know there were no churches and no pastors and no rabbis and you know nobody to say sex is dirty to me mm -hmm. my parents said you know, if they communicated anything, it was that sex was okay once you got married. Mm. Yeah. I got the I got the message that sex was okay as long as you were in love. That was that was the message that I got growing up. That there was like I got that in my teen years too. You know, in my when my parents were afraid I was sexually active, and they were like, <laughs> you know, it would be okay if you were really in love and planning to get married. We understand that. Mm -hmm. but what the hell is going on because <laughs> I seem to have a new boyfriend every week you know <laughs> you and I would have gotten along great as teenagers <laughs> you know, I had a you know I had but I I was haunted by a lot of bad stuff because the house was so dysfunctional so actually and I was like a, a total pacifist I was a real leftist far left hippie chick mm -hmm. growing up. I marched in all the marches. I marched against the war and I marched. So I was really, and Martin Luther King was my idol. So I was really wedded to nonviolence. Mm -hmm. And the thing that kept me away, I would say largely from BDSM was first of all, the propaganda against it in yep. society, which we still see. Yep. The 
belief at the time that it was just a gay male thing because mm -hmm. they were the only ones I ever saw. Like if I went into Greenwich Village, they were the ones in leather. I really didn't see women doing it. Yeah. When I did hear of women doing it, they were in a slave position, which was absolutely a hard no for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and I didn't really uh, understand anything about it. And I considered it violent behavior because mm -hmm. I understood that people got whipped and I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I thought of it the way you think of it, like, you know, in the old pirate movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, but what happened is that I formed relationships with men who were either willing to take my lead or it never worked out. Mm -hmm. So I could always get my way. And when I was in bed, I preferred to be in charge, mm -hmm. to tell them what I wanted and, or to tell them to lie still. And I would do them because mm -hmm. I really like that. And it, I guess at that age, it felt really safe to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it so much when a guy climbed all over me. Mm -hmm. I like, no, you know, I didn't know, but you know, I would have been safe wording. Yeah. If I had a safe word, it would have been like, safe word, slow down, safe word, you're kissing me too hard, safe word, you know. Um, and I also dated a lot of older men because they were less frantic mm -hmm. <laughs> than boys my own age. But it was really other people saying, you should be a Dom. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh no, not me. I'm not. And they're like, look at how you act. And I'm like, I'm a nice Jewish girl. <laughs> what do you mean how I act? <laughs> Wasn't I nice to you? And I, no, no, you're, you know, and it really kind of came to a head in my um, marriages. And the first marriage, the guy was really, really into it with me. Mm -hmm. We had other problems mm -hmm. and I was very confused about doing it with him and very ashamed, mm -hmm. but I loved it, mm -hmm. you know, so I had that split personality yes. of doing BDSM with my partner in secret. And when he mentioned I was kinky to my friends, I was horrified, yeah. you know, and yeah. he thought it was delightful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, with my second marriage, there was none of that, but I got so bored with that marriage and my partner was so difficult to live with that uh, I was, you know, it all kind of happened together. I made friends with a woman who really said, look, you really, you need to come with me to the club. Mm -hmm. And she took me to a club and she was right. I needed to be there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because from my first exposures and even though I hyperventilated a little the first couple of times I went to clubs like <laughs> yeah you know because you see a lot of weird people doing weird things you don't understand it and you go am what? I really one really? of them yes yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> it was a really tiny community when I started and it really was people who could actually afford to be out which was not common, mm -hmm. you know, but their whole lives are either 
totally split apart. Yeah. Or they really didn't have anything to lose because they were already connected with the scene. Yeah. You know, or working in the scene or around the scene or running fetish stores or, you know. So it was uh, exhilarating. So was it, was there conflict in turn? Like, what, 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 ha what happened from? How did you shift out of that conflict, that internal conflict, to the embracing of it? Um, I joined at the time a BBS. This was before the internet. Okay. And at my friend's suggestion, the one who was already, I met this friend in a in a poetry class because I was a writer and a poet. And she pinned me the minute she saw me. She said, kink, you know? And I was like, what? And she would start <laughs> telling me her stories and experiences. And then she, I was at her house and she opened the door to her closet and the smell of leather, you know? I liked it well enough when I passed Wilson's at the mall. Yes. <laughs> to know that the smell of leather was just like, oh my God, you know, like, until then, I like baby powder. From then on, I like this <laughs> leather. <laughs> of leather. And, you know, and then what did it? She showed me magazines with male slaves, mm -hmm. which I had never seen. Mm -hmm. Just men tied up and put over. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> Yay. That's a thing. Yay. And it's not all gay. They'll, they want this, you know, and I read the. So at that point, like most newbies, I went nuts. I got my head, yes. you know, I laid hands on everything I could. Um, I left that BBS. I joined another service. I eventually, after about a year or two, founded a support group there, mm -hmm. you know. But I understood it was for me. And I went to a club and I dominated somebody at the club. And I was high for days mm -hmm. and it was you know like the first time I went to the club I remember coming home and showering vigorously <laughs> <laughs> but by the third or fourth time I was just like oh my god mm -hmm. this is the best thing for me I I always took charge sexually Mm -hmm. But I was also very, and it was very fascinating before I dropped into the world fully, is that in the vanilla world, so to speak, um, you know, I always took charge. I always took initiative, but I also was always attracted to very alpha males. So there was this, there's this, this dynamic that would be at this play where I would like set the stage, I'd make all the moves, I'd do all the things. And then when I was ready to be like, okay, now I'm ready to surrender fuck my brains out and then and then once they finished fucking my brains out I'd be like okay I'm taking charge again and so that that was always kind of the the, the experience for me until I was at um, a female orgy party and some woman handed me a writing or a flogger um, um, and so you know we're having sex and she's like hit me and I'm like oh I can't I can't I can't can't like the whole idea of like physically hurting somebody was like this is not something that I'm okay with like mm -hmm. like there's not gonna be I'm not gonna be okay with it she's like I like it just do it so I'm like very the most lamest ever I'm like 
just hurt, right? She's like harder. And I like, I remember like the wind up and the sensations. And so I pulled back and then I brought it down and the sound and the, her orgasm and uh, the rush of power that surged through my being that I was just like, and it freaked me out. I threw the flogger. I threw the frogger. I was just like, I can't be this person. Like, I remember the conflict inside. It was like, I can't be this person, this person that I really am, which is a, is a sadist. Like I truly am a sexual sadist and I like to hurt people. I can't be that person. And I spent, mm -hmm. and it was really fascinating because I spent the next 10 years actually avoiding really yep. stepping into that place because I couldn't be the sadist and the the dom that I truly am and the right. raving that I, I wait, really actually had. in that yeah in that respect we actually had a really similar experience because I mentioned I did it with my uh first husband and he had read some crazy story in variations too, which at the time was like a prime source of BDSM fantasies, mm -hmm. you know, cause they'd run like one kinky story and issue, mm -hmm. you know, and he had read something where somebody had been treated like a dog and whipped and he wanted me to do that. So first he started running around and barking, mm -hmm. you know, and I just laughed. It was just the weirdest, strangest thing that I had ever seen. And then he wanted me to whip him, you know, and I, I had obliged by like putting on high heels and stockings and a garter, which by the way, I never wear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly don't wear, uh, once I got a handle on my Dom persona and realized I didn't have to dress that way. That was a male fantasy, you know. Um, and he gave me his belt and asked me to, to hit him. And I did it like three times. And then I'm like, I'm a hippie chick. I'm pacifist. I'm emulating masculine power. That's what I'd read in my books. This is bad. I don't, you know, I'm not going to gravitate from free loving, nice Jewish girl to you know, a weak imitation of, you know, patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But then I went to the bathroom. I saw, I, so I fled. I yeah. said, I can't do this. And I went to the bathroom to pee and my panties were soaking wet. Mm -hmm. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. And I, I didn't tell him that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I myself was in shock. Yeah. I was like, my mind was in one place. My pussy was in a whole other place. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I never did that stuff again until, you know, everybody kept saying, are you sure you're not a dominatrix or? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody yeah. gave me a book, uh, a guy gave me nine and a half weeks. And I said, why are you giving me this book? And he's like, maybe you'll take me on a journey. And I'm like, <laughs> I read it and I'm like, why the fuck would he think I, <laughs> I would do this? What's going on? Why do, you know, people really, and um, a number of people who I thought were straight were saying that to me. So I was kind of mortified. Mm -hmm. But as I said, you know, I met a, a female friend who 
had enough to convince me, you know, materials to convince me that, hang on, <laughs> maybe they're right. And certainly in my next marriage, I've been married three times, in my next marriage, I definitely had a much stronger voice and just hated the way my husband would try to control me. Mm. You know, like control what I wore and you can't wear this and that's immodest or that, you know, whatever. And I was like, and we constantly fought over power. Mm -hmm. It was a constant power struggle in that relationship. And towards the end, I found that bulletin board. And as soon as I found the bulletin board, I knew I was one of these people. Mm -hmm. And they were utterly diverse. It wasn't anything like I had thought. Yeah. Came from all walks of life. They were all ages. They were male. They were female. They were trans. Yeah. They were, you know, and it was all wonderful in a way to me mm -hmm. because I did have that hippie thing of whoever you are, it's cool. Yeah. And everybody is lovable you know, and um, the turning point for me, though, was I was at a club and I still hadn't whipped anybody, or if I did, it was like, tap, tap, and I saw a guy get up with the woman who he'd come to the club with, wasn't just a single person, which most of us were, and wow, she gave him, to me, a shockingly heavy whipping, mm. you know, leaving welts and marks. And he was very dramatic and writhing and screaming. And I was just staring. And at the end, when she untied him, they had like the wildest makeout session. Mm -hmm. So I went up to them and I said, so what's, you know, and they said they had just gotten engaged and it was his biggest fantasy and he pushed her to it to give him a whipping. Mm -hmm. And she was beautiful and sexy and sweet and gentle and not at all what you would consider a whip mistress to be. Yeah. She yeah. was just a, a, an open minded fiance. And that was his biggest fantasy, you know. And uh, I guess it was sort of proof that she could do that that he needed before they got married. Yeah. And realizing that it was him who had begged for this and pushed for it and that he loved every minute of it. Yeah. And that they were a loving couple. Mm -hmm. That was like, you know, like my brain chemistry changed <laughs> in that moment because I realized, you know what, I, I always knew I was kind of sadistic. Yeah. I remembered punching my sixth grade boyfriend. We would kiss and then I'd punch him. And he'd go, why do you always punch me? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't do, know I, I, have to I like to you after I kiss you. I, I, I'm, I like, I'm like that with like biting. Like I want to bite. It's like, I'm like the happier and the sexier and the more in love I am, the more I want to bite people. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I didn't even, I couldn't even understand it myself. It was just like this 
incredible impulse, you <laughs> yes. know, I was 12 yeah. and I tried to forget about it, but I remembered it when I got, you know, when I was suddenly getting into S&M, yeah. you know, yeah. you start like looking back at who you were as a kid yeah, and what you did as a kid and you realize, oh my God, <laughs> I was always this way. I was in the closet with myself all those years. Yes. Yes. I had missed out on all this stuff. So naturally being nerdy, I then, you know, really uh, read everything and talked to everyone and wanted to know everything about it and went to the club, went to clubs a lot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I myself on the weekends. In fact, I left my second husband and I moved walking distance to a big S&M club in New York. <laughs> I could walk there. Nice. <laughs> and uh, a very close walk to like a big gay leather shop where my other fantasy world that I would go. <laughs> nice. You could just so walk, it was asked, walk by you know, and, and open was, the door and smell. <laughs> Continue on your merry and it, way. <laughs> and it was leather, leather, leather all the time. You know, yeah. I, I never left the house without leather boots and I wore as much leather as I could. Mm -hmm even to jobs, which was probably why I got fired, but you know. <laughs> so how did that affect the rest of your life actually talking about that? Cause like you said, just so you said, like how it did changed. that, how did that affect how you started to move in the world? Once you it embraced was, it and it was like, this is who you are. How did yes. it change? Um, how'd your life You change? know, it's an odd thing, but I felt a sense of relief mm. because I always felt like such a weirdo. Mm. Like people were getting off on things that I found really basic, mm -hmm. you know? And I realized, no, there's a place. There's a place for me. There's this whole world of people and they get it. And it they want me to hurt them. I'm actually doing them I don't want to say a favor. I'm giving them a gift. gift. Yes. Yes. I mean, it went from I'm doing you a big favor here to no, this is my gift. Mm -hmm. I'm good at this. And I'm not uh, crazy or a drama queen. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like a big thing. I'm going to be nice to you and treat you like a person. Mm hmm. Um, but I'm also going to beat you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're going to have a good time. <laughs> we do other mean things to you and yeah. fuck with your mind. Cause I, you know, I love fucking with people's minds that I always liked. Yes. You know, that's how I got my sense of humor because I think my sense of humor was shock humor a lot as a yeah. kid, you know, and like, just a little, you know, prodding to see if I could get people to react. <laughs> but I also knew that my friends considered me kind of a leader, which I found also really weird. Because mm. I didn't see myself that way. I was, I felt really insecure. So what changed for me? I found a home mm -hmm. or a sense of community even though I really didn't belong to it yet. Mm -hmm. 
um, I definitely found <clears throat> people I could talk to and really enjoy and feel free around and be disinhibited around. And I just loved it. Mm -hmm. And it's been, you know, it was kind of, it took a f many years, but it gave, it gave me the tools to become who I think I was always meant to be. Mm -hmm. It gave me the tools to do it ethically, without shame, without embarrassment, you know, uh, to have a really good time and not go home feeling, you know, uneasy with myself. Mm -hmm. And it was a big high being a pretty young mistress because mm -hmm. I got, you know, I was never a popular kid, mm -hmm. you know? And then you and became very I was, popular. <laughs> I became very popular, at least on a, on a low, you know, on the low key level of, you know, the guys who walk up, oh, mistress, I'll do anything for you. I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but I got real attention, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and really all you needed to do is to wear the fetish clothes, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and have that glint in your eye, which I always had that people thought was crazy, but I don't think it was crazy. I think it was. The light of this and then. <laughs> yes. For me, I've found that it's changed how I move in the world that I am genuinely nicer. Like embracing, embracing fully instead of hiding the sadist or hiding the, that I'm supposed to be a nice woman in the world and I'm not supposed to be like this fierce, you know, the, how fierce I am and, and I'm supposed to be gentle and I'm supposed to be all this stuff. So being able to have safe spaces where I can truly embrace it fully and completely unapologetically, what is done is that I'm not faking being nice in the other areas of my life. I genuinely are kinder and gentler and more have more empathy and have more compassion. And I'm genuinely nicer the rest of the time because I get to have this beautiful outlets of just unleashing, you know, right. like my smissive was over yesterday and we were having like a work play day and I'm like, I'm working. And then I'm like, oh, I need to beat you. <laughs> it's like right. vlogger. Till she I can. totally get it. And then I'm like, okay. Great. Now I can go yes. sit with a client and hold the space of love and compassion and empathy and like all of these beautiful spaces. And, and then I have outlets where I can be like, okay, come here and yep. have my way and release all the things. And then I'm like, la, 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 la. I'm all frolicky and happy. And I'm also, that's also part of my, um, me being a dom is I'm very, playful like I'm a very playful and mischievous like I'm like this mischievous little nymph that's a sadist <laughs> uh -huh. right and so it's that and I was thinking about it this morning before we're going to have this conversation I'm like did I embrace the whole 
being cute to soften my fierce edges because society didn't like the fierce version of me. And there was a lot of resistance to the fierce version of me. But when I was cute and playful and kind of mischievous, then it lulled everybody's false sense of security. And then everybody like leaned in and didn't, there was no resistance, like there was no pushback. And I, and I think in all fairness, I mean, yes, I'm very frolicky and like by nature, but I think that I embrace that persona to become softer. And if I wasn't, if I, I think if I was a man in all fairness, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have had to do that. I would have just been fierce in the world and just owned it completely and not have to soften it. So it's very fascinating. Like, I mean, I love being that mischievous, frolicky nymph, but I don't know, I would have necessarily, I think I embraced that as part of surviving in a society that says, as a woman, I'm not allowed to just be fierce. Right. So, so yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, did, did that, why did that get developed? Like, how did that develop? And I think that's why that developed for me. You know, I, I mean, my best friend, I've known her since I was 15. And I don't think she thinks I am a different person, mm -hmm. but I'm a much more together person mm -hmm. because there's so much that I learned through BDSM Yes. And from being a dominant. So I was a very depressed kid and a very depressed teenager. So I, I, I lived in a state of existential dread, really. Mm -hmm. And honestly, connecting with my kinkiness actually helped to quell that hugely. Mm. I felt much happier mm -hmm. having the outlet, as you say. Mm -hmm. You know, it really balanced me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not like, uh, I, I think I always had buried underneath like this gravitas because my parents were Holocaust survivors. I knew how evil people could be. And I had a very tragic view of life, mm -hmm. but, you know, having a tragic view of life that it's impermanent actually helped me probably in my journey because it's like, if not now, when? Yeah. You know, it was always, if not now, when, you know, live while you live, you mm -hmm. know, and try new things and go new places. And I was always like that. Mm -hmm. I was always that kind of adventurer. Um, but it was so easy for me when I was with somebody to become this really strict, hard person mm. that was inside me that I had never really expressed mm -hmm. and I feel that um in the process of growing up you know growing a second life yes really um in my late 20s into my 30s I learned so much more about the value of things like self-control self-discipline um respect and caretaking mm -hmm. Because I wouldn't say I was much of a caretaker. I mean, I was always very, very nice to my friends. Mm -hmm. 
But that's because I always felt like people depended on me to have the answers for them. Mm -hmm. And I was very strong. I knew that. I didn't, I mean, I did and I didn't. On one hand, I felt very weak, mm -hmm. like I will never survive on my own. But on the other hand, I knew that I could handle problems. I could mm -hmm. deal with them, that I could survive. I guess that was the feeling that I could survive things. And those first two years of like making all of these breakthroughs, I left my husband to get involved with BDSM. He had no interest at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that marriage was over anyway. And I was really eager to throw myself into the world of BDSM. I quit my job. I had a really straight job. I was working on Wall Street. You know, I quit my job and became a freelance writer, you know, and and I moved to, as I said, to a place near near a BDSM club. <laughs> so you walked through it. Yep. Yeah. And that all happened, you know, and I went to a therapist, you know, and I mean, like, am I really fucked up or is this okay? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, why am I like this? Why? What made me like this? And then at some point, I stopped caring what made me like this. Yeah, <laughs> not really. Doesn't, at some point, it, it's not really important. It it's just embrace yeah. it. <laughs> I was probably born this way because, you know, I did really bad things to my dolls when I was a little kid. <laughs> 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 One poor doll, you know, I just I feel bad for her because, you know. <laughs> I took it all out on her, you know, and uh, when I was, you know, three and four. Yeah. And I, I remember going, remember if I didn't have the wounded doll. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember going around and kicking boys in the balls. Like that was like, I remember as like a little girl being like, that was the most fun and entertaining thing ever. Right. So and where does that, you know, and, and then at the same time being told, like, you should never, ever, ever, ever do that. That's wrong. It's wrong. And then I was like, yeah, but it feels so good. Why am I so gleeful? Like, it feels so gleefully joyful. And now I can do CBT. People pay me to do CBT. <laughs> I'm like, yes, this is my calling yeah. my whole life. <laughs> and that was, that was exactly the way I felt people want me to do these things to them that yeah. is all that was the permission that not just wanted begged for it you know yeah. so that was that was really wonderful yeah it must be hard I think if you come in as a dom and you're not getting much response from people because mm -hmm. I think we all need that kind of affirmation like yes there are people who are looking for someone just like you and there are a lot of them. Yes. And you know? they and they want it and they desire it and they crave it and they need it. And you can move. And they're grateful. And they're grateful. And they and I love the gratitude. Too. Yeah. And and you can move from a place of consent and ethics and like all of the things. It's just so beautiful to to drop into that place. Right. So the first couple of years though of being a femdom on my own. Uh, I was wild. 
you know, I mean, I just wanted experience. So I would do strangers at clubs or go home with them, you know, and just do those days we didn't even have safe staying consensual. Mm. This was the eighties. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have all these rules. We didn't have quite as formalized a structure. Yeah. Um, nobody ever talked to me about safe words. Mm. I wasn't real, you know, that was stuff that I read about mm -hmm. later or learned about later, you know, so my first couple of years, it was sort of the, you know, blissful ignorance and not doing extensive negotiating and not yeah. really getting to know a person before I did them. It was like, would you please beat me? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like that these days. I mean, you know, that really went away. Yeah. Because um, obviously some things went wrong. You know, somebody would ask yeah. me to beat them, I'd beat them and they'd burst into tears and I didn't know what was going on or they didn't want to see me again. They were so ashamed, mm -hmm. you know? And I would feel hurt, you mm -hmm. know? It'd be like, but I was giving them what they asked for. Yeah. So what's the problem, you know? And then I realized that I had to grow my humanity to do yeah. this yeah and have more compassion not just be like what you don't want to play fuck you yeah i'll go to the next guy you know or you know i was because that was how i was in my vanilla life mm -hmm. well and that for me that, that's so beautiful that you said for me that journey was that was that 10 10 year journey of i needed to explore being submissive I felt like I needed to be understanding, be on the receiving end, heal my shit, do all the things before I unleashed. Because I knew like that moment when I hit that woman and that power surged through me and the sadist in me was like allowed out for a second, just this brief second that I knew because of my background in trauma and my background in, you know, I was, you know, I, I endured a satanic cult and like I was programmed to be, I was actually programmed to become a predator that was so deeply ingrained and systematically programmed in me that I needed to go and do a lot of healing and heal my stuff. And, and so that I could come from a place of love and that I could come from that place of compassion and empathy so that I didn't become an abuser and I didn't become a predator because right. it was so there, right? And it's, it's like, that's a really beautiful piece around that finding the humanity and the compassion and the empathy right. piece <clears throat> so we don't go into those other places necessarily that doesn't serve everybody involved. Yeah. And I think one of the great psychic reliefs for me or emotional reliefs for me was having sort of black and white dynamics. One person is in control and one person is not. For me, that just simplified everything and was very relaxing mm. because my experience with men had always been push and pull and power, you know, fights over who gets to pick where we go to dinner and who does what, you know, and suddenly everything felt so much easier. 
-hmm. and so much clearer to me. And like you, I tried all the roles. Mm -hmm. You know, I tried all the femdom roles and I tried a lot of bottom roles. Mm -hmm. I tried submissive, I tried slave and I was really lousy at it because either in my head, I was like, what? You think that's a tie? You should see me tie somebody. I tie them so they can't get out. What is this bullshit? <laughs> or, holy fuck, that hurt. Don't do that to me, not me. <laughs> not my delicate little princess in the Peabody, no. <laughs> you know? And, um, and I couldn't get out of my head mm-hmm. when I was trying to do that. And what it added up to was realizing the role that made me happy, 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 happy was dominance. When I was dominant, I was just happy as can be, really. I mean, in the moment of doing the thing, I was super serious, but I felt such a state of bliss and of euphoria that I would just be grinning, you know? I'd be grinning when they'd be suffering and, you know, slaves would go, oh my God, I can't believe how you're, I'm screaming here. (laughs) And I'd be like, you're screaming, I'm not. (laughs) Yes. You're here to scream, right? And I'm here to make you scream. Enjoy, you know, (laughs) so, so what, knowing what you know now. Happiness. I found happiness. I stopped being you know, the poster child for existential dread. Yes, that's beautiful. So what's the one thing that you know now that you wish you could have told the younger version of yourself? Oh boy. Um, Don't, you know, forget what your parents told you, forget what all the adults said pay more attention to what the real nature of your relationships are with your friends and people in the world where people took you a lot more seriously than you would ordinarily think someone would take a five foot nice Jewish girl with big tits, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because first impressions, you know, so the people who really knew me Mm -hmm. actually were really affirmative Mm -hmm. and I should have, understood you know and that there's nothing wrong with having power as long as it's ethical Mm -hmm. you know I thought power and control were nasty and evil because I saw people like the Nazis you know seize control and power yeah and use it to hurt people yeah to destroy people yeah and this was a place where I had those impulses, but it made people happy. Mm-hmm. And I could give them aftercare mm-hmm. and they'd be flying and I'd be flying. Yeah. And everyone felt good about it. And there was absolutely, you know, I was not a predator, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, on any level. And I felt much more in a way morally clean doing SM. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I would want myself to know mm-hmm. that it isn't dirty and it doesn't mean you're all fucked up. It means you were born that way. 
Mm -hmm. And it's something I like to say to therapy clients is you're normal for a kinky person. Yeah. You can't compare it to vanilla people. No, it's a different experience. And if only I had known that it wasn't just like seven gay men on a Saturday night, (laughs) (laughs) it was actually thousands of people across all of the genders and orientations. Yep. And that's what probably is why I listened to a woman. Mm -hmm. I probably couldn't have been convinced by a man. Mm -hmm. But once she opened that door, that was, that was fantastic. That's beautiful. beautiful. I would tell my younger self that, um, you will not be a predator. Embrace who you are. Right. Embrace who you are. You won't be a predator when you, when you're, you will move from a place of ethics always just surrender to that place. Like that, that's the one piece that I wish I had told myself when I was younger, because I could have had way many more years (laughs) of torturing people. (laughs) And I would have been less, you know, I was uh, fairly compliant. You know, when I found somebody I didn't have to be compliant with, then it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. But on the whole, I mean, I had very strong opinions, but I didn't act on them so you know i might think somebody was an asshole but i wouldn't necessarily do anything about it mm-hmm. so i would say i became self-actualized mm-hmm. as an adult through bdsm beautiful you know i became the person i should have been because as a kid i just had such low self-esteem and i didn't know what i was doing and um i didn't have a high opinion of myself and i never understood why people would be drawn to me at all. And I thought, yeah, it's just my breasts that's doing it. I can't take it seriously. But I think there was a lot more to it that people sensed in me, Mm -hmm. that kind of certainty Mm -hmm. or decisiveness of character. Yeah. You know, like I was the one who would make the decisions, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, it's, it liberated me. And that I knew the first time I got on that bulletin board, that was just like, oh my God. (laughs) I I put down a fantasy that I had and I don't even remember what it was. And then like, I was afraid to go back for three days Mm -hmm. to to see what kind of response it got. And imagine my delight and shock when my mailbox was full of men (laughs) saying, yeah, do that to me, do it, do it to me. beautiful wow so we're gonna end we're gonna wrap up our episode for today um how can people spend (laughs) more for today uh how are people how can people spend more time with you gloria uh as a therapist yes as a therapist so how can they go to my site i i and can book an appointment with me i work for myself so what, um, can you get flexible that, schedule? Can I see get, a lot of people during the week, you know, um, virtually. You, beautiful. Can you give uh, your website? Mm-hmm. G-L-O-R-I-A-B-R-A-M-E dot com. Gloria dot com. Beautiful. And uh, Gloria's contact info will be in the show notes. 
thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. I hope any budding femdoms who uh, were listening to this got some inspiration of like, just embrace it, embrace it, be who you are. Don't be apologetic <laughs> for it. <laughs> don't, don't be afraid of who you are. Don't be afraid of who you are. Exactly. And um, enjoy the, you know, please like, follow and share. And uh, we're always looking for feedback on what you enjoyed about the show. So reach out and have a juicy day. May be filled with kinky exploration. Mwah. Bye. Hmm. Well, I hope today's episode inspired you encouraged you and of course made you feel tingly inside <laughs> i just want to take a moment to tell you how much i appreciate the time that you spend and how i really deeply appreciate you listening i do it for you guys the audience and i love and adore you guys so quick loving reminder i am not available for naked pictures getting married having sex or having anybody's babies and when you want to spend more time with me in a professional capacity as your coach, your teacher, your educator, your facilitator, um, you can reach me at GaiaMorissette.com. That's the gateway to all things Gaia. Now, if you're like, oh, I really wonder what's in the extended version. <laughs> well, find out on Patreon. Come join my Patreon for not only the extended version of this episode, but also bonus content behind the scenes, all sorts of juicy, juicy stuff. I also lovingly invite you to follow me on Instagram, which the handle is my orgasmic life podcast, where you can leave feedback and comments. Also come join me on Facebook, at my orgasmic life podcast, Facebook group. And I really want to hear from you. I want to know how this show affected you. Did you what did you learn? Was it inspirational? Did you agree? Do you disagree? Um, you know, I want I want to know because I'm a little bit of a voyeur. So I want to know what how am I affecting you? <laughs> so please, please, please come leave some comments. Now, if you're like but I don't want everybody to know what I'm thinking, which is okay. Sometimes we need privacy and we need to be anonymous. So you would like that option? We have that. You can email my slutty assistant, Layla at GaiaMorissette.com. Okay, listeners, until next time, may your life be filled with sexy exploration and orgasmic pleasure. Bye-bye.